During holiday travel, some people get delirious. Some get delayed. And some get <laughs> Del Griffin. American Light and Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. Neil Page got all three. I was on my way home to spend a nice holiday with my family. Instead, I'm in a motel bed with a stranger. So instead of Thanksgiving with his family, he's spending three days with the turkey. Out of Theaters, the podcast that reviews the movies of yesteryear, this year. My name is Billy Culpa, here with my good friend and film critic, Will Pfeiffer. Will, hello there. Hi, Billy. This week's movie is the John Hughes classic, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. But first, Will, have you seen any good movies lately? I have seen a good movie lately. I saw it with my whole family. I saw it in the theater. But let me throw it back to you, Billy. Have you seen any good movies lately that you would like to discuss? I have. I saw a very good movie that I don't think it's like an all-timer or anything, but it's really interesting. It's a very interesting movie, uh, the Stephen King adaption, Dr. Sleep. I got to tell you, I don't know who stars in it. I mean, other than you and McGregor, but I don't know any of the actors' names. I don't know who wrote it. I don't know who directed it. I don't know anything about it, but I sat down in a theater, which I, I want to emphasize this in the uh, continuing out of theaters tradition was completely empty on a friday night that's at, how we like to do it which makes no sense i don't understand how movies make money anymore well i don't think this one did alas but they did not make money i, I, I think it i think it was a disappo- box office disappointment probably a disappointment because of how well it did right I mean, it 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 the oh movie. I mean, yes yeah, probably yeah i think they were hoping for the next it yeah, yeah. and i think i if i'm wrong and just real quick i think this was a warner brothers movie disappointment and then they released charlie's angels i believe which was a huge yeah. box office disappointment but anyway who saw that coming yeah, everyone who saw that <laughs> stupid trailer um, um it is the story of danny uh, from The Shining. The little boy in takes, the original movie, right? Yep. yep. Takes place the like the week after The Shining. It starts, it's an immediate sequel. Really? Which is kind of neat because what they decided to do was recast everybody. Um, in some cases, they, like uh, for um, Dick Halloran, mm-hmm. his voice is like, De- it's great. It's Scabby and Crothers. Yep. The it's the same voice. I mean, it's not, it's, you know, it's a guy with that it's kind of. It's that kind of voice. Yeah. But his, his, you know, he's just, it's, it's a, you know, a black bald man. He doesn't look that similar, but he looks similar enough and the voice really sells it. Um, they recast. Now, let me ask oh. you a question though. Uh, real quick, just to kind of yeah, establish no, I, this. I know it's a sequel to The Shining, the book Stephen King wrote. Right. But it must n- sort of not be... A s- I know there are elements from but it must not be a sequel to Shining the movie, right? Because Dick Halloran does not survive Shining the movie. It's both. And there, I'm going to give you some spoilers okay. here. Spoiler. I mean, so, hey, you know, you got People? two seconds to mute or whatever. We're going to talk about this for maybe three minutes and yeah. then you can, you can move forward, guys. Um, but um, there are ghosts. Um, Dick Halloran essentially comes back ah, and talks to Danny okay. as a ghost. And it's mostly like... Sort of like Force Jedi spiritual advisement, you know, you and McGregor uh, paying it forward. Oh, no, you know? very good. That's, I didn't even think of that. That's right. That's right. Where he's just sort of like, a, it starts off where Danny is in, uh, he's in Florida. His parents have, re- his mom has relocated to Florida. They want to go somewhere warm. They I don't blame tired them. Tired of the oh, snow. That's, who could blame them? And basically, he sees like the shower curtain lady in his bathtub. He sees, oh, he oh, sees okay. the ghost in his life and he's six. 
So there is a little kid playing the role of Danny, yeah. but it's not Danny Lloyd. Recast. I dr- like, I, I just want to step right in. I like the recasting rather than trying to do some CGI, but da, 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 um, whatever they're going to the do. The director, um, I forget his name. And his he's name, not- real quick, I will just tell you because I looked it up. Uh, let's give him credit where credit's due. Mike Flanagan. Flanagan. And he he's not like, I'm not trying to say he's an auteur or something, sure. but he came into it saying he thought it was disrespectful to even think of using CGI everybody. He doesn't want to CGI all these people, so... What else can you do? And he was like, we're just going to recast it. People like the characters, not the actors. It's been so long anyway. Good. Um, and they do it right down to Jack Nicholson. Um, the, the That's one- interesting because he's such an, not just an iconic actor, but it's an iconic performance. The recasting of him is not very close on purpose. Mm-hmm. When you first see him, you're kind of like, wait a minute, is that supposed to be Jack? It's basically a dude with Jack's haircut. Right. But then the more the scene goes on, and I don't, I really don't want to spoil no, it. No, no, like, no. You know. But the longer the scene goes on, the more the mannerisms start to manifest mm-hmm. and the crazy eyes and that like smile and the, sure. the, the eccentricity. Uh, and you kind of, by the end of it, you're like, whoa, it's Jack. Like it's, I mean, it's not perfect, but it's, it's, it doesn't start as like an impression, but by the end it kind of does. And it really works because the character, Ewan McGregor as an adult uh, plays adult Danny is kind of confronting that, oh, this ghost that I'm talking to is my dad. I know. I haven't seen this movie. Do you know who plays Jack Torrance in the movie? Um, I do. It's the kid from E.T. It is the kid from E.T. It's Henry Thomas. Yeah. Interesting. And, Very interesting. Um, the kid, Danny, uh, has a cameo as the dad of a kid who gets killed. You mean the real Danny? The real Danny, Danny Lloyd. Who has who, never been in another movie. The only other thing he was ever in, in fact, you're right, not another theatrical movie. I believe he had a tiny part in a TV movie based on the life of G. Gordon Liddy. Oh, okay. Around the time he made The Shining. So yeah. it was... Yeah. And then he retired from acting. He's like a dermatologist or something. Something, yeah. He's, he's got, like just a boring completely. job. Completely. But hey, he's happy and yeah, well he, adjusted and Yeah, yeah, right, right. He's no he's no Danny Lloyd or uh, Jake Lloyd, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, um the Poor thing, Jake Lloyd. You, bring it back to Star Wars. You again. asked, is this a sequel to the movie? And what this thing tries to do, and my criticism of it is that it tries to do too much. Um okay. uh, the the primary thing it's trying to do is reconcile the shining the book with the shining the movie. Um so like in the book the thing burns down at the end. Right. It ends with with uh, the boiler exploding, and then all the ghosts die, and the whole thing's over. And Dick lives in the book, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yep. okay. Yes. Okay. Um, so in the movie, all this, you know, that didn't happen, mm-hmm. so they got to figure out how can we sort of work that in. It It's it's effective. It, uh-huh. does, a, it does a good job. Um, they add a second thread where Danny has the shining, right? Uh, right, he right. shines. The power of them. Well, there's yeah. these, like, this troop of, like, villainous, rampaging, bad guy, vampire things who feed, they literally eat and kill kids who have shine. And, like, take their power? Yeah, they sort right. of suck up their life force, but not before, like, brutally torturing them in a way that they sort of show on screen. You that posted something about this. I couldn't were... believe it. I it, it stuck with me in a way that, like, a, a I really... I am surprised. They literally show a kid. They pin him down and they stab him in the thigh and he screams and he's begging. He's is, it like, a, is it like a child actor? It's like a 12-year-old boy. And mm. he's like, I won't tell anybody. Please let me go. Please. And it's just like horrifying. Like I wanted to leave the theater and go hug my kid. I was like, what is going on? Um, it does work, but it's just, it's awful. Sure. Um, the last part, and I'll end on this, is that it tries to do one more thing where it tries to be like an homage to The Shining 
for the last, call it third. You know how like the end of like Skyfall? Yeah. They go to like the cabin. Sure. Oh, the, sure. There's a lot of like, hey, we're going to go back to the Overlook. Oh, to the and old Overlook you love. Like, it's like a greatest hits that I just didn't. And the greatest hits from the movie The Shining. Yep. Okay. And it's the whole time. It, it got to say, um, it's real cool. Like they do that, that, um, you know, that opening shot of The Shining where it's like a helicopter oh, or sure. a plane. They do one of those. And they slightly changed the music so it's the same music with modern instruments. And it's like, I, I like had chills. It was so good. I was like, this is amazing. I can't believe... I was really impressed with like the, the modern twist on this old thing. But then it just... And then you look at your watch and go, oh, there's another 40 minutes of this movie left. Yeah, oh, that's, no. That's not a good sign. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Dr. Sleep, um, if you like The Shining, I, I don't think... This isn't the kind of thing that you're going to go into it and it's going to destroy your childhood. You're not going to be like, oh, they, you know, what the hell? They, it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting and it's not distasteful or poorly done. I'll probably, I, I, you know, I, you've convinced me because I was kind of poo-pooing this. I'm curious about it. I love the original Shining. Yeah. I'll probably watch it when it comes out on home video uh, next week or so. When uh, <laughs> The Shining is not that plotty. It's really beautiful. It's like yeah, every no, single it's scene not is plotty. Like, it's just a mood piece. I yeah. Think, and it's original. beautiful and sure. interesting. This is way more plotty. Okay. Yeah. Um, it sounds like it. There's not a lot of beauty. Like, I mean, there's moments, but you're not watching it to be like, Holy, that that seems right. creepy or whatever. It's much more story driven. That's a good point. Okay. You know, and it, I was just curious because I went to IMDb and looked up the parents' guide for this movie, where they tell you all the stuff that might be objectionable <laughs> in that. And all it says is several scenes of brief but graphic violence with some involving children. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, no, <laughs> brief violence, my ass. It's like that thing goes on like nine minutes. It's it's really un. Bleh. All right. Anyway, you have a movie you want to talk about. We and I, you let me go way too long. In that no, I that's cool. It was, I think this was that was interesting discussion. Plus, you're covering a movie and a book and a sequel to the movie and to the book. Yeah, it's crazy. I gotta admit, I'm more curious now. You've convinced me. You saw something that is right up your alley that basically should have been directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, right? No, people say it should have been directed by Wes Anderson. That's what's. Oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I can't even edit that out now. <laughs> okay. All right. There's all those Andersons running. Around. Yeah, they're all the same. But this was, in fact, directed by uh, Tiki, Tika, Taika, Taika, I, I don't think know how to say it. It's Taika Watiti, I believe is his name. He's the guy who directed um, Thor. Yeah, he's and he the, was in Thor. He's the rock guy. He's the rock guy in <laughs> he's Thor. He's like the New, New Zealand. He sounds like Murray. He is from, he's from New Zealand. Yeah, so while he directed, and in fact, just last night, I was watching a old episode of uh, Flight of the Concords, and he wrote and directed that episode. He also wrote and directed and starred in... A very good vampire comedy called What We Do in the Shadows. You've talked about this for years. Highly recommend yeah, it. Yeah, I should Check it. it out. There's a show on uh, FX that's based on it. I can't recommend them highly enough. They're hilarious. This movie is uh, it's based on a novel, too. It's called Jojo Rabbit. In it, it's about a little boy. Uh, I think he's about 10 years old. He's um, in Nazi Germany. He's living with his mom, who's a single mom. The dad is off somewhere. There are reports that he's deserted or he fled the country or whatever he's off fighting the jerry's as you once did well he is a jerry oh he is but they're, I, they're if he fled the though that means he's you know well theoretically but nobody knows the people say your dad's a coward he ran away da, 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 da. so you don't really know what happened to the dad um but he lives alone with his mom played by uh scarlett johansson the lovely scarlett scar joe <laughs> and um he like all the other little boys in his neighborhood are um they're joining they're they're it starts with him going to a Hitler youth camp, which was like the Boy Scouts for the Nazis. Sure. I mean, it's a real thing. And, you know, and they were teaching these kids how to be good little Nazis. And because this is near the end of the war, the horrifying implication is that they are teaching these kids because they are going to be fighting in the real war soon. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, at the end of the war, the Nazis were sending everyone out. Yeah, I mean, these, these, how kids, old are these kids? Like 12? If that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they were sending them out to fight. But at this point, they're just kind of Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. So they're going camping, and they're learning how to wrestle, and then they're having book burnings, and all your typical Boy Scout <laughs> kind of things. But anyway, he... He's the some of the older kids are training them and they're training to be tough killers and they want him to kill a rabbit and he won't do it. So they call him Jojo Rabbit, like he's a little scared rabbit, not it up. But here's the thing about Jojo. He's he is a good kid, and um his imaginary friend is Hitler, (laughs) who is played by Taika Watiti. Okay. And like and obviously, you know, he's it's a very exaggerated sort of goofy Hitler. And um it's all about I'm not giving away the whole plot, but the one twist is is you know, he's taught as a young little Nazi, you know, hate the Jews, da-da-da-da-da. And he goes home and he finds out that there is a Jewish girl a little bit older than him, I would, you know, maybe four years older than him, hiding in their attic. The mom let her stay up there. Sure. And so now he has to decide, does he want to keep the secret? Does he want to turn her in? Does he want to tell his mom that he knows? Sure. It's a very, that's like a 1984 thing, like where the, the kids all rat out their parents. Right. Well, this is, you know, it. And, yeah. And he knows the mom knows, you know, and he's, yeah, does he want to turn him in and... It's very, you know, Anne Frankie. And so when I first started, I went to see the movie. I had high hopes because I really like the trailers. I thought were good. I, I like the subject matter. I like Taika Waititi. But I, as it started, I it has, I think the opening song is, and I may be getting this wrong, but it's, I think it's I Want to Hold Your Hand, you know, the Beatles, yeah. mm-hmm. but done in German over footage of like Nazi rallies. Sure. And they treat it like... If you've ever seen A Hard Day's Night, the Beatles movie, yeah. where the Beatles are coming town and all the kids are screaming, yeah, well, they do that, but it's like Hitler, and then they show Nazi crowds, and it's edited. And it's like a farce. It is, and I was wondering, because it's like effective, but I'm like, is this too lighthearted mm. for the subject matter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, you know, because it's a fine line, you know, this is... You know, it's about the Nazis. Yeah, and, you, you know, you say you disarm the horrors of life by laughing at it, mm-hmm. right? But you're saying... But is it too much? Yeah, yeah. I will say this. By the end of the movie, it is definitely not too lighthearted. Oh, sure. It gets dark. And it's very funny. I think I think it, it really nailed it. I, th- it was, I really loved it. I thought it was great. There's a lot of surprising things. There's some characters like Stephen Merchant, who was... Co-creator of the British Office. Yeah, he, he's in a um a show called Hello Ladies. Yes, he's yeah. very. I think he's, he's hilarious. He's, he's like very, eight feet tall. He's very tall, very <laughs> tall, and he plays a Gestapo officer in this, and he's both very funny and very chilling all at one time. Cool. And then your buddy Sam Rockwell is in it. He's your buddy. I like Sam, but he's, he's all our I think buddy. He's your buddy, I but he's like good. And he, he plays a guy who was injured in the war. He's leading the youth camp. And you can tell he's not quite believing in what he's teaching mm. anymore. And he has some interesting character arcs during it. And ScarJo's, you know, she has some. Rebel Wilson, who is, um, she's been in a lot of movies she's lately. She's the blonde comedian. Blonde British comedian. I think yeah, she's she, British. But she, she had heavier, a heavier woman. She had an age discrepancy thing that Yes, that was like a big a, thing on I don't the want internet. To, I feel like she sues everybody. I don't want to get sued. So those- she's very good in this, but she, while completely... Like, she never, like, acts mean. She's always very lighthearted, delivering her lines in, like, a very jokey kind of manner. But she is terrifying. She's the one who says, now it's time to burn some books. And then they <laughs> cut them. And then at the end, there's a scene, I won't give it away, but it's not involving our lead character directly. But it's the very end of the war. The Allies are in Berlin. Like, this is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she straps a bomb vest to a little kid and says, now go give those American soldiers a nice big hug. And sends him off running, and you hear a giant boom off from screen. off screen. Yeah, it's like, wow. That's bleak. It's bleak. Oh. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I was happy that the movie had the 
courage sort of to face the implications of the story it was telling. I mean, it's a dark subject and the comedy is very dark, but it it does sort of end on a redemptive note. So, I mean, you f- it's weird to say it's a feel-good ending, but it kind of is a feel-good ending. Okay, well, what a what a delightful set of movies to uh <laughs> child torture and Nazis <laughs> to uh, introduce Thanksgiving to uh, to our audience. Speaking of which, this week's featured movie from John Hughes, it's Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which we picked because of Happy Thanksgiving. That's right. It's one of the rare sort of Thanksgiving-centric movies. It's, in fact, I think the only one we could find. I know. There's a few others, but yeah, this is the big one. I never did introduce myself. Del Griffith, American Light and Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. I sell shower curtain rings. Best in the world. And you are? Uh, Neil Page. Neil Page. Pleased to meet you, Neil Page. So what do you do for a living, Neil Page? Marketing. Marketing. Super. Super. Fabulous. Isn't that nice? Uh, look, I don't want to be rude, but uh, I'm not much of a conversationalist, and I'd pretty like to finish this article. A friend of mine wrote it, so... Don't let me stand in your way. Please don't let me stand in your way. The last thing I want to be remembered as is an annoying blabbermouth. <laughs> Released in 1987, uh, written, directed by John Hughes, and this sort of came after his uh, his teen cycle, you know, his Ferris Bueller, his 16 Candles, his Breakfast Club. This is a movie about two adults, even though they act like children frequently in the movie. Uh, Steve Martin and John Candy. They both are trying to get home for Thanksgiving. Steve Martin's sort of the tightly wound advertising sort of guy john candy's uh you know gruff but love or not gruff but sort of rough around the edges salesman you know he's kind of a slob so it's a very much a snobs versus a slobs kind of a movie which was a very big thing in the 80s and uh they're both trying to get home for thanksgiving but flights are canceled trains are stopped you know cars break down there are accidents craziness bad hotels so it's just you know sort of an epic road trip movie and will they get home for their thanksgiving dinner do you like this movie? I do like this movie. I mean, admittedly, I sort of grew up with this movie. I saw it, I saw it, I'm sure, opening weekend at theaters. I remember seeing it in college a couple of times when they screened it on campus. I just recently watched it with my wife and child. Um, I like it. It's not perfect, but I like Steve Martin. I love John Candy. I mean, John Candy's just one of my favorite screen personas. I just think he's got a real, I mean, I think he is one of the most likable sort of actors around, you know, he's always, I grew up watching him on SCTV, he's in yeah. Ghost, or not in Ghostbusters, he's in, you know, Spaceballs, he's in, he's in tons of stuff. Splash. He's, stripes. Stripes, that's right, he's Stripes, he's Ox. Uh, which, <laughs> Will, Will, this, this is the worst movie I've seen in like five wow. years. Wow. I, I loathe this movie. This movie is not funny, it's predictable, it's just... Every every single time, five seconds before thing happens, I go, "Oh, th- this is where John Candy's going to fart or whatever," and he just does it. I don't think he farted once during that's the movie. Fine, but that's my my point is like, okay, you just you know exactly what's going to happen. Like, oh hey, Steve Martin's in the shower. He's going to open it up, and the towels are going to be gone. Like, and of course, and it's like the first thing that happens. It's it's so. But then he like dries his face with John Candy's giant underpants. That, it's so stupid. I felt I felt embarrassed for this movie. I, I Dude. can't believe how bad. I, I think this movie's bad. 
Really? Yeah. I mean, now, not that being said, I don't want to put you in a position. Normally, I would be like, defend it. Defend I mean, it. I don't think it's the greatest movie ever, but I think it's a solid comedy. And without spoiling anything, I think it has sort of a heartwarming ending. There's a lot of, um, yeah, and we'll, we'll let's go through the plot. But uh, th- there's a lot of little bits, too, that like just drove me crazy. Not just because I didn't happen to find it funny, but because like, uh, like Steve Martin, a good example. Steve Martin says, this is my wallet, John Candy. I'm going to put it in the glove box. Do not let me forget that I put it in the glove box. Okay, John Candy? And then it's like verbatim, right? It's, it's like step by step by step. And you go, oh, man, he's going to forget that or something's going to happen to the wallet now. But I think I, I'm i not arguing that they do that. But I do think they throw a few extra twists like where, you know, they switch the credit cards. And I mean, basically everything that happens is John Candy screws something up. Steve Martin ends up being the one who really pays for it. Yeah. I got to say too, physical misery or money or whatever, or what, whatever. And the, the point is that he's supposed to learn to just go with the flow and don't be such a stick in the mud. And I, I get that. But Steve Martin's right the entire time, the entire movie. Steve Martin's right, right from the get go where he's sitting in the meeting. He's like, I'm going to miss my flight. The boss man's not going to make a decision. We're just going to get stuck here. He's right. That's what's going to happen. Well, yeah. I mean, but you can, you know, I think you can predict that. I mean, I, I know, but it's just I, from from that point on, I never I mean, it's it's like in the end, he's redeemed. I guess, but I just don't know what he had to be redeemed for in the first place. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not a bad guy. Especially because they show us the bad guy, the attorney. The attorney, the cab attorney at the very beginning, not Kevin Bacon, but not then Kevin, yeah, Kevin Bacon. the guy after Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah, that's He's guy. like, I'll take that cab, and he's yeah. like, 50 he's bucks. Like, he's like, anyone who would pay 50 bucks is would, willing to pay 100 bucks. That's the 75. That That's there the bad go. guy. That's like, pre-Uber, by the way. Yeah, yeah but that's yeah. not that's not what Steve Martin is. No. Steve Martin's not that cynical. He's not that... You know, he is cynical, but he's not that cynical. Excuse me. I know this is your cab, but I'm desperately late for a plane, and I was wondering if I could appeal to your good nature and ask you to let me have it. I don't have a good nature. Excuse me. Come on! Can I offer you $10 for it? Huh. $20. i will give you $20 for it. Let's say 50 All right. All right. Anyone who'd pay $50 for a cab certainly pay 75 Not necessarily. All right, 75. You're a thief. Close. I'm an attorney. Have a happy holiday. This will help. Right. And and to be honest, he you know, because there's a lot of movies from the 80s where the plot is, there's a businessman, and all he cares about is getting ahead, mm-hmm. and he has to learn to love his family. I mean, the whole plot of this is Steve Martin wants to get home he loves to his, his family. family. He does love his family, even though his son has the worst haircut ever. Yeah, he The first does. thing I would do is, Get that kid out of there. Get him a new haircut. But like they, you know, I, I don't know. I, so so uh, I, we can, I'll stop. I'm not going to. No. It's not fair to kick a movie like this the whole time. Like nobody wants to hear me complain the whole time. I, I think it was a good movie. I appreciated that it was a Thanksgiving movie. Hey, also unrelated, but I had trivia the other night. And one of the trivia questions was, what popular holiday song? I'm going to give you into the end of the episode. Okay. To think of this. And I will not look it up. What popular holiday song is actually about Thanksgiving? And not Christmas. You think it's about Christmas, but it is not. Oh, okay. Let me think about it. All right. An audience, you know, we'll try to, let's remember to get back to that. No, okay. Let me think about, uh, or let's talk about this Steve Martin thing, because I think you raise an interesting point, is Steve Martin is not the bad guy. Right. And you identify with Steve Martin completely. You feel, I think you feel for him. You feel in your shoes. And I think... Maybe it's just me, but I think the one of the interesting thing the movie does, and, and this is not a subtle movie, but I do <laughs> think it it kind of puts you as Steve Martin and you slowly you are always with Steve Martin. 
I think the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I love John Candy's character, but I don't think you ever really identify with him. And so you were the one thinking, what would it be like if I was stuck with this guy? Right. If I was in the room with this guy, if I had to share the bed with this guy, if every time I, I mean, the he Steve Martin like sort of ditches him a couple times during the movie, and he tries to let him down easy. You know, it's obviously he's, what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Steve Martin is not the bad guy in this movie. In fact, John Candy steals his credit card at one point. He does. And then he says, I was going to, he puts it back in his wallet. He's yeah. like, I was going to return it. What was I going to say? I mean, yeah, and John Candy's obnoxious. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's kind of redeemed at the end for what you find out. But yeah, I mean, yeah. he, and he, you know, and John Candy, I, I think the thing about John Candy is, and again, like I said, I love John Candy, um, but I think he has a real sort of likable, persona yeah so even when he plays a character you would hate that's i think he's i think his casting was important because otherwise i think you would hate del griffith so that's that's you would hate 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 him the whole movie and you would root for his failure essentially let's let's start with that part then so um i i don't want to call these categories but the topics i like to cover when we do these episodes let's talk about the casting i I think the only two real characters we need to talk about are martin and candy they're they're only i mean they're the other characters are just brought in to react to him and then yeah the wife has a weird moment at the very end like a really weird where she stands on the top of the stairs with like a tear in her eye and she's like thank you john candy and i'm like why are you why are you thinking the weird homeless guy like what are you doing i always tell amy because amy always say you know that uh i think that actress is from madison or went to amy's college or something uh her name amy your wife amy my wife that's right uh layla robbins i believe is her name but um I always say that his, and watching it this time, I realized I was completely wrong, but I always say like, his house seems so cold and antiseptic and everyone's like all dressed up and it just seems like the least fun Thanksgiving ever. I'd hang out with Dell for the rest of the movie, <laughs> but it's really not a bad house. It's just a very, it's, it's a very John Hughes house because John Hughes, when growing up, I would see like 16 Candles and The Breakfast Club, and I would think like, these kids are just like me. And as I get older, I'm like, no, these kids are insanely rich kids insanely from the Chicago rich. suburbs. Yeah. You know, at least in Risky Business, which also takes place in the Chicago suburbs, you know he's rich. John, uh, John, I, I'm so sorry. I'll start calling him Dell and Neil, right? Dell and Neil, yes. Dell Griffith and Neil Page. Dell, when they show up at the end to Neil's house, Dell says, you're a very lucky man. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Neil's like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, although I would have said, yeah, I earned this man. You know, there's a, this is slightly off topic, but but not completely. There's a, a great book um, that came out. Uh, this year it's called 80s teen movie hell i think by a guy named uh, mike mcpatton and it's all about teen sex comedies and teen comedies of the 80s and he talks about how at the beginning it was all very much the snobs versus the slobs like animal house you know you root for the the frat the and you you root against the rich snobby guys but he said john hughes's movies sort of put you rooting for the rich guys yeah like you identify with molly ringwald and you kind of think Anthony Michael Hall's character is a, is a pain in the ass. You know, you root for her to get with the other rich guy kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And Ferris Bueller, you're definitely rooting for the rich, spoiled kid. And uh, Breakfast Club, they're all rich kids. So, yeah, so Steve Martin is very likable. Uh, except for maybe the one time when he yells at the annoying lady that's in Groundhog Day. Or, but that's in, hilarious. It is hilarious. <laughs> and then she has the, you know, we've yeah. been wanting to show this movie to my daughter for a long time. 
That one scene is why we didn't. But now she's old enough. She's, yeah. she's heard the F word 5,000 times. That part's so. genuinely funny. I yeah. laughed. When she says that, I was like, yeah. Because he's like, you're fucking this and you're fucking that. And then he just looks at her and she goes, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> How may I help you? You can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your rosy fucking cheeks. Then you can give me a fucking automobile, a fucking Datsun, a fucking Toyota, a fucking Mustang, a fucking Buick, four fucking wheels and a seat. I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And I really don't care for the way your company left me in the middle of fucking nowhere with fucking keys to a fucking car that isn't fucking there. And I really didn't care to fucking walk down a fucking highway and across a fucking runway to get back here to have you smile at my fucking face. I want a fucking car right fucking now. May I see your rental agreement? I threw it away. Oh boy. Oh boy what? You're fucked. That'd be Edie McClurg, by the way. Um, but yeah, she's in a lot of stuff. She's uh, in. Uh, she's the secretary in Ferris Bueller, and that guy's got a whole dark thing. Yeah, I really like him as an actor too. So it's oh, that's fortunate. I know <laughs> he was on Deadwood, and he's you is know, she in um is she in Edward Scissorhands too? No, but I can see why you would think she is. She feels like one of those one of the housewives in yeah. Edward Scissorhands. Okay. Uh. So yeah. Um. He does unload, but. When when he unloads, uh, I found myself cheering for him. When he's like just screaming, I was like, "Yeah, he's right." Yeah, like, I would do that too because like, he's just been put through hell. For trying no to, it was trying to rent a car. And yeah, and it's all just a nightmare. And I just don't understand. And maybe that's one of my complaints about the movie. I just don't understand why he deserves this. I, I he and I yeah. I mean, he doesn't. He's not. You're right. This is you. You make a very good point. This is not a movie about a bad guy who needs to be redeemed. Yeah. He's not a bad guy. He's just trying to get home to his family. He's a little tightly wound, but, you know, there's a scene early on where he really lets Dell have it. Yeah. He's like, when you're talking, have a point, and this and that. And, <laughs> Sorry, that's and, so funny. I know. And you you kind of agree with him. He's, he's a little harsh, but, you know, you understand the John tension. John Candy's response is pretty solid, though. He comes back yeah. and he says, I like me, my I wife like likes me. My wife likes me. That's, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I mean, Great. yeah. The, it, that's well adjusted right yeah. there. <laughs> and they, and well, and then should we talk about the ending? I guess, yeah, we have okay. to, right? So they... Um, they, you know, they have all those scenes and, and he says, you know, John Candy has a picture of his wife that he puts on his table and, and you remember her name? Oh, I don't remember. Marie. I think it's Marie. Marie. Yeah, Marie. sure. Sure. I feel like I know Marie. That's, that's yeah. Nice. He said, okay. Yeah. Cause John Candy's always talking about Marie and, and Steve Martin says like, I got to get home more often, you know? And, and, uh, Dell says, you know, I haven't been home in years and this and that. And, and so they finally, after, Every possible struggle between here and New York, they finally, Steve Martin finally gets to Chicago and he gets on the L to go to his home in the rich suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, you know, he and Dell have a good, nice goodbye at the station. He gets on it and Steve Martin's there and he's, he's like looking back at what happened and he's laughing and, and he's, you know, and this is, we, I should mention, this is after they have sort of stayed in a hotel room and had a nice night talking. Yeah, they, after they, they got drunk on the, the, on the, uh, little, airport, the little mini airline yeah, bottles. Yeah, little yeah. airline bottles and they, so they have a nice night and they <laughs> yeah, get, they he get had Doritos and like Jack Daniels yeah. or something like that. Yeah. He's like, do you think this will work? work? And he's like, yeah, like, it'll be fine. Says, let's uh, rum, let's go to Jamaica and all this. And <laughs> so they have their moment. They say goodbye, Steve Martin's, and he's, Steve Martin's laughing, thinking back at everything. And then they play all the lines when he's talking about his wife, 
yeah. when Dell is. And Steve Martin realizes something, goes back. Dell is there all alone, just sitting there, not making to get on any train or anything. And he tells him his wife died six years ago, eight years ago, years ago. Yeah, yeah, I think eight years ago. And, and so he, he doesn't. He's like, "What are you doing, Dell?" Yeah. And so he he takes him home to yeah. his house, and it's. I mean. I don't know how you felt. The first time I saw it, I thought that ending was genuinely moving. I, Partly not, because both characters... I mean, you really grow to like both characters. Maybe not moving, but um, it was nice. Were thought, you surprised? No, no. Because there was coming. a lot of weird stuff. Like he, the, line, the one that really stuck out is, I haven't been home in years. Um, plus, uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, Dell is very much... It's interesting. Dell is the road warrior. Dell's like the consummate businessman. He's constantly, like, the whole time we see him, he's showing his business acumen. Like, yeah. the, that ridiculous, idiotic scene where he's selling people in St. Louis. <laughs> it is pretty dumb. Bath, curtain, rot, or what does he sell? Uh, a shower curtain ring. Shower curtain rings, and he's, like, selling them to kids as earrings. Telling them their earrings and this and that. I was, come on. I mean, like, this, yeah. I think that's one where they said, we need to give John Candy, like, some kind of funny, he can just say funny line after funny line. Yeah. Un- and he's good. The they just didn't give funny. him any... Yeah, I mean, it's. Just, I, well, I was going to say the lines aren't that funny. Well, the line where he goes, it makes you look at least 18. That's the best that's one. That's the one where I, that stuck with me. I was like, that's a funny line. Yeah. And he goes, sold. I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that's, just, it's so dumb. How do you do, man? My name is Del Griffith. I'm with the American Light and Fixture Company, jewelry division, and I've got the deal of a lifetime for you. Do you have a minute? This is your Diane Sawyer autographed earring. You ever watch 60 Minutes? Thanks. This is Czechoslovakian ivory. That's it's, it's five dollars. Great. This is your Walter Cronkite moon ring. Thank you. They are filled with helium, so they're very light. To kind of prove my point, I think that Steve Martin is like the good family man who's not the scumbag that he you know ought to be, or, or maybe right. you, you sort of situationally placed as. The only reason why this entire movie exists is because when his plane gets delayed, the first thing he does is he calls his wife. That's and true. he wants to check in and be like, honey, here's the deal. I'm sorry. He's being a good husband and dad. If he wasn't dad. so whipped, he would have gotten home. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But think, what if this movie, what if Steve Martin had instead played Kevin Bacon's character at the beginning? The guy who's like steals the cab yeah. or whatever. <laughs> then maybe it would be a better movie if then Steve Martin home. was a bigger asshole. Yeah. Well, uh, but... While he's doing that, John Candy is the guy calling for the motel. Yeah, because he's like a road weary he knows, traveler, and he he's knows. the one who says like they're not they're canceling it. There's they're no way cancel. we're leaving. Yeah. Right. I also, by the way, it's interesting how many guys John Candy knows. He's just he's got a guy. Yeah. He's got a guy at this he's airline. Got I got a guy. guy at this hotel. Like, well, he's been on the he's literally hasn't been home. He's been on the road forever, and it, they're all kind of low rent guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I do like the scene when they they get in that hotel at the end. And they have no money, and Steve Martin like basically trades his very nice watch. Yeah, that they they open the movie with. They show yeah. that movie. That's, that's the, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the whole thing is time, 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 time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And then and then John Candy has what is it? A crappy Casio watch. And he's like <laughs> he tries to like display it. <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the um that that guy at the desk was the I was thinking he was the attorney in uh, Jurassic Park that gets eaten by the T Rex. By the way. Wow. <laughs> now, uh, how about the cabbie that gets him to that hotel? Oh, the the, the license guy. plate is like just like sin or yeah, something. And like it's that. like the cabs all tricked out and everything. And there are some interesting cameos because Michael McKean, who was in Spinal Tap and who was on Laverne and Shirley years ago, he's My, the cop who pulls them over. Yeah, Michael McKean is. Uh, he's in the. He's on Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. But yeah. he's he's also like the lead, the the non racist lead in Short Circuit. 
Is he? I've, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's the time oh, short, short circuit, circuit two. I'm sorry, short circuit oh, two. So I don't think I've ever seen short circuit two. Short circuit two is great. I, but he, I just want to plug that movie is great. It's it's Johnny Five in New York City. Oh my god. It's, it's maybe we should watch. As it. a kid, I got, I love. I mean, it's a animated robot. When dude, we do great. our, we'll do an '80s month. Yeah, we we'll have to. <laughs> but it, he's in it and he plays the cop. And when I do, I mean, I think it's funny because they have this car that they're. There, there's no roof. There's no windows. There's no working gauges. There's no lights. Nothing. It's you don't even know how it moves. And he gets pulled over, and they're like, they're just like he, he's just a very normal cop. He's like, do you really think this is safe <laughs> for the road? Seem road and, safe for the highway? Safe, yeah. And John Candy's like, you know, we do. <laughs> just tries to sell it, and it's the, <laughs> the most radio ridiculous. Works. The radio. Funny thing, the radio works. See, those moments, those little that, moments, I think work. I like the moments. The little, mm-hmm. the little like. You set up a weird situation and then let the characters respond to it is great. When they go ridiculously when it's over the too top, cartoony, when it's just a cartoon, you're like, I, I, and I get it. It's comedy. Um, I, I want to bring this up to you, and it, it actually works well because we had talked about um your director's name, who I, I cannot pronounce. Taika, Taika Watiti. I guarantee you, that's I, wrong. I, yeah, I'm sure it is, and I apologize because I really like him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He all right. So he directed Thor Ragnarok. This right. this movie has come up. We've talked about it a couple times. It's it's arguably the funniest of the marvel movies i think it's the most deliberately fun well that or guardians maybe yeah yeah, yeah. guardians maybe. is actually i would say guardians is funnier but um, thor ragnarok was definitely aimed at being a comedy i've seen it i don't know i saw it in theaters then my wife and i watched it a couple two three times so i, I bet i've seen that movie maybe like six times i'm not wow. trying to say that's a billion times but but it's i've seen it enough it's been out three years or whatever i've seen sure. it you know twice a year every time i watch it it gets a little worse and i think it's because comedy is it's impossible for comedy to last it's it's there's not that much stuff that is eternally funny and i think more than any other genre of film it is of the moment john hughes is like the most of the moment you know type of comedy there is it's the most 80s there is it's very 80s um i think that you're going to look back at thor ragnarok in 15 years and it's i'm not saying it's dumb or bad but it's not gonna it's gonna be like cute see i mean and we've had this discussion and i don't know if we've had it on the air well, like i don't a, think we have had it on the air but i i mean i, I like thor ragnarok more than you i, 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 I don't I do know if watch, i watched it six times yet i like I, it i, I don't not you like just don't thor think ragnarok. It's the comedy when i saw it in theater i thought it was like a top three marvel movie and now i'm like yeah it might be like 12 out of the 22 or whatever you know but i'm i don't think comedy is always i think comedy can be the most sort of what do we want to say of the moment? Yeah, it, it yeah. definitely can be. Like, think about something like Austin Powers, yeah, right? Which is like a it's just it's no. There isn't a single laugh in that movie now. <laughs> sure, I mean, yeah. I would argue, yeah. But I think sometimes, I mean, you know, we did duck soup on this, and you didn't think it was funny at all. But I mean, there are still Marx Brothers movies that I and my daughter will laugh out loud at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those movies are eighty something. There, there are old. moments, to be fair to Austin Powers, not that I've seen Austin Powers in twenty years, but there are like the setups that are funny where like the the one character's name is Basil Exposition because right. his job is to But that's, that's kind of like it's a pun on or a play but on Did that really ever make anyone laugh no, out? No, but loud? it made me kind of grin. I don't know. Well, I know. But I mean what about like all the Doctor Evil stuff and yeah. Hey baby. I think I think catchphrase comedy dies immediately. Woof. Right um, away. So in Thor Ragnarok it starts off with him in that cage and sure. then at one point the cage like rotates he's spinning he's, he's on the like, change yeah but they do it like two more times like they do the bit once and then it does it again and, and you're like all right i got it man and it, it just doesn't hold up at all on the second and by the sixth time you're like it's painful i'm like oh christ get through it the same thing is happening in 
Star Wars, The Last Rise. Uh, Last Jedi. Last Jedi. Oh, that where, opening. The whole opening where well, he's like, I, "I need general hugs, general hugs, attention, general." Hugs. I don't just, think. I don't think that was funny at all. I mean, and comedy subjective enough. It's it was cute for me, but not, god damn, like it's a mom. It's a your think, mom I mean, joke. It's a I your think, mom joke in the beginning of a Star Wars movie. I think the two most subjective movies, which means I may love it, you may hate it, you may love it, I may hate it, and there's there's really no logical arguing about it because it hits you on such an emotional level. Are comedy and horror. Sure. Like if something scares you, it scares you. Yeah. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. If something makes you laugh, it's almost the same reaction. You know what I mean? Yeah. So interesting. I mean, and I, parts of this movie, I did, I laughed at parts of it because I remembered it fondly. But I mean, if you didn't laugh, you didn't laugh. Uh, I mean, we, you can't. For Christmas, I end up getting stuck watching Christmas Vacation with my my father-in-law and his family. <sighs> See, just I don't think every those year. vacation movies have aged well. I think it's okay. I've actually, I never saw it as a kid. I only saw Vacation, Christmas Vacation and Vacation for the first time like five, six years ago, like pretty much everything else. And John Candy and Vacation, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny enough, but like the parts that my wife and her whole family laugh at are like these one liners that I'm like, that's not that funny. Yeah. And I mean, but to them, it's, they grew up with that. It's their moment. It's like a thing they saw when they were 10 and they just, it's so funny to them. And well, I mean, in college, I mean, we would watch certain movies. 500 times. Yeah, we I've seen Office Saddles Space or we watch, times. you know, Monty Python's Meaning Life or something. And so you'd laugh at the lines you, yeah. I have a little beer bottle opener on my keychain. And it's I've said the same joke a million times where somebody's like, they'll try to open my beer and I go, no thanks, got my own. And I just pop it. And nobody thinks that funny. Like, they don't even know that it's a joke. But it's yeah. just a little one-liner from Office Space that makes me giggle. Yeah. It's, I don't Anyway, I, I, I really derailed this. Um, but that's it. But I think you raise an interesting point is comedy. And I think we've had this discussion even a good comedy we both like, it sort of degenerates into, here's a joke I liked, here's yeah. a joke I yeah, liked. Yeah, yeah. And a movie one of us likes and one of us doesn't, it's all because you either find it funny or you don't. I mean, we can agree that both actors are likable. Yeah. And yeah, 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 yeah. And Steve Martin, who has got like kind of a mean streak in him. Yeah, I mean, like, Steve Martin can be an asshole. Yeah. I think he sometimes is, I, I think, think in like real life he's kind of. I think I've recognized that that he is in real life. I've read profiles I, of him where he's just. I think no, he's, no, you know, I'm mixing him up with Chevy Chase. My bad. Yeah, Chevy Chase is an asshole. I think Steve Martin though is kind of emotionally cold. Okay. I think. Um. I mean, and I don't. And you know, we there's a really good movie called Um The Spanish Prisoner that we should watch sometime. It's uh, David Mamet who wrote Homicide and he wrote Um. He's like a snappy dialogue. Kind he of he did. Playwright. He wrote Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah, the play. Yeah, yeah, but he did this movie called The Spanish Prisoner, and like a lot of his movies, it involves sort of this very long con, and you don't know who to trust. You don't know who's a good guy, who's a bad guy. Steve Martin is in it, and it's a it's not a comedic role at all, and he plays a guy you're not sure if he's good or bad, and he is intimidating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's good. He's it's like I wish more people would use him like that because yeah. it's really fun to watch him. Not go for the laugh, but just be a guy you would be afraid to go up against. Um, he because he's he's a tall guy, he's fit, got a good chin. Like mm-hmm. I could see that. I and mean, he's got a dark sort of. Yeah, when I was a kid, I mean, when I was in like sixth, seventh grade, maybe even a little younger, Steve Martin was one of the most famous people on the planet. Yeah, he was huge. He would do stand up comedy and he would sell out arenas. Yeah, and this is before guys like. I mean, you know, like Kevin Hart does that now or people, but, and he, it's, John, John Mulaney did the the big New York City, right. uh, Radio City Music Hall. But he would, Steve Martin would sell it like Dodger Stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would, um, it, it was real interesting because Steve Martin wrote it, he wrote a very interesting book, if you're interested in him or comedy called Born Standing Up, and he sort of traces his whole comedy career. 
and he was he's like a really smart guy. He's like an art collector, like a very well-read guy. And he his act would be like him going like having an arrow through his head and holding a rubber chicken. And hmm. he was doing like jokes on that being funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's like, I know this is this character I'm playing is so stupid. Like he'd be like, I'm a wild and crazy guy. Yeah. And people would just go bananas yeah, for yeah. it. And it's interesting. His career is very interesting because even back then he he knew what he was doing. It was like intellectually he was a step back from all that. Yeah, but he yeah. played the character of a dumb comedian. Sure. kind of. I mean, the jerk, which is his first movie, is a really very silly comedy. But it's almost like a smart dumb comedy. It knows how dumb it is, kind of a thing. Yeah. So he, it, you, so back back to planes and planes, trains, mm-hmm. and automobiles. Um, he makes sense as the New York. You know, very much, city yeah. man. He seems sophisticated and smart, and he dresses well. Although he has that line where he says, "I've been wearing the same underwear for a week or whatever." Yeah. And you're like, "That sucks." <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Uh, okay, so let's talk about John Candy a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is lovable, but I the the joke of him basically not being self aware just it wore thin on me. Yeah, I can. I mean, and I get that. It, it, yeah, I can see that. If the, you the first time when he like. Oh, I spilled beer in the bed. And it's like, okay, you kind of, you, the first, the real like hammering introduction to this guy where he's just the worst bedmate ever. Why? Why? That's it. If I don't clear my sinuses, I'll snore all night. Gee, if your kid spills his milk, what do you do? Slap him in the head? What? 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 What is that supposed to mean? You're not a very tolerant person. You've been under my skin since New York. And you know, the thing is, you make a good point because he, the character that you know later in the movie doesn't seem to be the same guy. Like that guy would not just spill beer in the bed and like blow it off. Right. He would feel bad about it. Yeah. He would do something about it or try to do something and maybe fail and make it worse. You know, he, you know, he makes a point. Um, he, He's trying harder because at the end he says out loud to when he's like talking to his wife or whatever and his, you know, his sort of inner monologue marie yeah he's like uh you always do this you find somebody that you really like to spend time with and you you screw it up yeah screw it up yeah and maybe that's the line where now from this point forward he's not going to be the guy who spills beer in the bed anymore or whatever he tries too hard or yeah i mean it's i mean i john candy was on he got his he first became famous because he's on fctv which was a tv show in the canadian originally canadian show but it was on rick moranis dave thomas joe flaherty eugene levy it's eugene levy it's the guy from american pie right yeah i mean it's ironic that he had his biggest career success playing the dad on american pie it's kind of i mean and i the weird thing is is all the success john candy's had rick moranis dave thomas joe Flaherty, all those people Catherine o'hara I still think their best work is on SCTV. Yeah. So if you ever go on, like, just Google SCTV on YouTube, there's some really funny stuff there. So we've covered the characters. Um, I want to move this along a little bit. Um, I do want to point out one more actor, though. Dylan oh. Baker, uh, who is in a lot of things. He, I'm, I'm trying to think of something right off the bat. Usually he plays serious roles, often dark roles in movies. Um, but uh, he's the guy who... And usually he plays like kind of tightly wound dad types or businessmen, but he's the guy who picks him up in the truck and keeps going. 
like sucking the snot up into his nose or something and then oh yeah yeah he's it's like a suit and he yells at his wife he tells the wife she's gonna like you get their luggage and just like no no we can do it he goes no she's tough her last baby came out sideways she didn't even scream <laughs> uh he is dylan baker is he the um the accountant in road to perdition uh he very well might it's, it sounds like a very dylan baker kind of role um, when year did Road to Perdition come out? I'm looking it up right now. 2002. He is. Yeah. Yeah. He's a. That's a very Dylan Baker kind of role. It's, so seeing him in this is not a Dylan Baker kind no, of he's, role. But it's you know it's funny about that particular scene. Um, it, that kind of does work. Is he he like mentally verbally abuses his wife? He's like get out here, get your sorry ass out here, and whatever he says to her, right? Yeah. And she comes out and right away, Steve Martin, who's a good man. Yeah, and she's like, she's very small woman, and like she's kind of like mm-hmm. Steve Martin's like, you, hey, you don't have to do that. Don't put up with yeah, that. Yeah, because she wants him to load their giant head, like John Candy's giant trunk and everything. And her like her stature and her posture and her demeanor, she just she grows ten feet tall. Just like she crosses her arm, she's like, I got this. Like yeah. she's like, she's gonna kick Steve Martin's yeah. ass, you know. And, and you're like, whoa, okay, never mind. <laughs> and her she baby, can handle herself. Baby came out sideways. Yeah, like there's like it's it's really like there's a little t- turn there that I thought was. It's kind of funny. One thing I do like about this movie, see if you agree, is I think um, it takes characters who are only on screen for maybe a minute, and it it does something with them. Yeah, like her, him, Edie McClurg as the the clerk, even Michael Bikin, who's just the most, he's just a cop. Anyone could have played it, but somehow you remember him just staring at that car, dumbfounded that anyone would even try and drive it. It does feel like a yeah, <laughs> that's fair. There. <laughs> You have all these scenes that are stitched together, and they've, there's like you got to make each one funny. So what's the thing we can do? And it's often like the little cameo appearance by whoever, oh, right? Like the um, the guy, like the taxi driver, who's like, I don't want to take you on the highway. I want to, yeah. I want to take you on the back road. He's and like, he wants to. Sh- I like how John Candy says he's proud of his town. You don't see that very often. He wants to show it off. And my daughter didn't quite get it. I'm like, Allie, he's driving around to bump up the fare. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and one scene. At, this is the scene I did laugh at again. Because of, I just, it just, their reaction. Because Steve Martin, for once, agrees with John Candy, and he's completely wrong to do so. It's when crazy things happen. They're driving on the highway at night. They get the car turned around, and they're driving down the wrong side of the highway. Yeah. And there's a, a another car sees them and says, you're going the wrong way. And... Steve and Steve Martin says like, "What's he saying?" And John Candy says, "Ah, he's drunk. How does he know where we're going?" And then Steve Martin agrees. He goes, "Yeah, how does he how know where we're going?" Yeah. <laughs> and of course, they are yeah, going to run. But then, oh man, all right. Like I, like I said, I don't want to complain the whole time. And I, I have one other major complaint I want to bring up after this. But uh, that entire highway scene is so agonizing and long and oh. stupid. It just it's re- that, that you're right. I gotta say that one moment is funny. But the car squeezing between the two semi trucks, and then, then we have to pull over, and then the car sets on fire, and the walls, and it's just like, it's just endless. I, like, gag I gotta act. say, I like that part. Holy I think shit. it's well staged comedy. Exhausted. That scene. How he that, gets stuck. That seems like twenty minutes long too. I I challenge that you that is, that's that twenty scene minutes is long. One half of the movie. It is not one <laughs> half of the movie. <laughs> well, like John Candy gets out, he's like, "Oh, it's just Defender. They can buff that out." It's like obviously, I don't know, man. Like it's. I like I like the point. I mean, by at that point, I've kind. Of, I like John Candy's character. I like how he he ignores all logic. Oh, they can buff that right out. But the only reason why that has to happen is because. Like, we have to set the car on fire because he put the cigarette in there. The only reason why he put the cigarette in there is because we, uh, in the back seat, is because we have to make sure the wallet burns down. Like, it, it just. That's how know. comedy works, though. You, you know, it's a domino effect. I'm. But anyway, you right. said you had one. You, here's what you said. 
I don't want to complain all the time, but I have one more giant complaint. The music. I got. I want to bitch about the music. I, the music is so. It it's takes very eighties. It's the most Ferris Bueller <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really Ferris. The Bueller. one part of the music I like is is during the scene you hate when John Candy is listening to old Ray Charles. Song. Yeah, that's and cool. just and I love this. I just think that's a fun scene. How he's kind of driving at night alone because Steve Martin's sleeping. He's just bopping along. <laughs> People too, I mess around. They're doing the mess around. They're doing the mess around. Everybody doing the mess around. I have an embarrassing question. Who, who directed Blues Brothers? Is that John Hughes? No, it's John Landis. Oh, Landis. That's right. Okay. I was because I mean, it's, you know, the Ray Charles thing in there. Yeah. Like, I mean, that actually has Ray Charles in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there's like a genuine affection for Ray Charles in that moment. John Candy, like going oh, crazy and doing it was just. I mean, I remember we were watching it, and Amy's like, what is that song? Because it's like, it's such a fun song, and yeah. he's, you know, that's when you get, you, you let an actor sort of have his personality show through. Yep. Um, that's, those are the most, most of my complaints. Um, is there anything? You're right with the music, though. It's that, it's just that 80s. Uh, yeah. I think maybe the two other topics we should hit are, um, are just the photography. How does, it, how does the movie look to you? And I will, I'd like you to just maybe riff a little bit on Hughes and his sort of, this, this is regarded, let's start there. This is regarded as Hughes' best movie. Well, I will say it's regarded as his best, like, adult movie. I mean, yeah. because the, John Hughes will, all, I mean, he is, I was going to say, when he dies, his obit will say, but he is dead. But in his obit, I'm sure, did say, who directed, like, he was known as the, the director of teenage movies. Okay. I mean, when I would, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, I, they're, I, was the, I was in high school when 16 Candles and Breakfast Club came out, and those were like the movies of our high school generation. You know what I mean? Yep. I mean, and it he had a hard time, tra- I think, transitioning to not adult films as in porn, but, you know, for movies about grownups. You know, he did this, and then he did a couple others. Uh, he, he, he did direct... Uh, Home Alone. Yeah, yeah. Which that's, was that's like real that's like late era John Hughes, right? It's a few years after it's it was ninety or eighty nine or ninety, so it was a couple years after this. But that is late era. That was one of the last he that did some other stuff. Giant. That movie made a billion dollars. That movie right? was huge. Yeah. It was yeah, I mean it was it was colossal. And I there's a comedy I don't think holds up. I didn't think it was that funny when it started. No. But you know, you can kind of see the template f- for that in here. It's constant physical comedy, often violent physical comedy. And then there's the heart-touching ending when the old dude, the homeless guy in the park, comes and befriends. Comes and saves Kevin from yeah. Joe Pesci. And yeah. I always like the fact that that movie came out almost the same time. Well, within a year or so of Goodfellas, and Joe Pesci was a very different scary <laughs> character in one than the other. Uh, Macaulay Culkin is charming in that movie. He's, he's endearing. He is. And, yeah. he's, and you know, um, he, he got his start in Uncle Buck, which came out. A year or two earlier and start John, John Candy. Candy. Yeah. yeah. So that's when you first yeah, that was like I remember seeing that in the theater. And it's not a perfect movie by any means, but you saw it and you're like, who is that kid? Let me that read kid is let fun. me read something for you. This is Roger Ebert. This so Planes and Trains makes Roger Ebert's uh great movies collection. Um we've we've discussed Roger Ebert. Right, but this is where I'm gonna really strongly disagree with him. He writes, uh the film is, quote, perfectly cast and soundly constructed and all else flows naturally. Steve Martin and John Candy do not play characters. They embody themselves. I 
could not disagree anymore with them not playing characters. characters. They're obviously characters. And why would he, you know, Ebert loved to say stuff like that. (laughs) I mean, I like this movie, but it's not one of the all-time great movies. But I think it's funny, and I think it's got a sweet ending, and you know. Uh, that's why the comedy, which begins securely planted in the twin genres of the road movie and the buddy picture, is able to reveal so much heart and truth. I just don't know what that truth is. I don't. I don't know what the truth. Like, yeah, I mean, the truth is be nice to people. Yeah, and and I just don't think Steve Martin is not nice. Like, I, I just, I you know, I I never really thought about this before, but you're right. He doesn't. He's fine, but he's, he doesn't have a big character arc. Right. He's he's not he's not folksy and he's not like a warm guy, but I don't think everybody needs to be warm. Maybe I'm too cold, but you you, you don't know. need to well, be Well the like, whole thing is he wants to get home to his family. He's to not like them. I need to work hard. It's like Another movie would have, I have a big account I have to close and screw Thanksgiving, yeah. da 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 da. But I mean, he does have a couple of moments where he's like, I should be home with my kids more. Sure. But like, that, I don't know if you needed to like ruin his life to make him realize no, that. Well, I mean, <laughs> on a simpler level, it's just funny having a straight lace character go up against the slob character and, you know. Totally. Yeah. How do you feel about uh, the way the movie is sort of. Uh, Technically produced, like the the, I mean, it, the the cinematography, the sound, the just how does it I come across as a movie? It's a very eighties movie in that it's very slick, but I think it it looks good. I think it's got some style. I mean, you know, it's you know, there's the scenes. You know, there's a lot of driving and a lot of. I like the highway scenes we we're talking about because it's it's you know it's night. I think it looks kind of cool. It feels like. You're in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night. It never once looked... I never thought this movie looked bad. I never... No. I mean, I never thought it looked... I was never like, look at that shot, you know? But, but it, it never once felt cheap. No, it's a. it was a big... I mean, these yeah. were two big stars. John Hughes was a big director. I mean, this was a big hit. So, I mean, it's it's got that 80s gloss to it. You know, it's... You brought up the Blues Brothers, which is another road movie. Again... With John Candy in it. But I, I went back for the, uh, the reintroduction episode of this, episode zero, um... Find that in your iTunes feeds, people. Uh, and that movie looks grainy. There's like a, a lower quality but to it. I think that works. I think th- I love the Blues Brothers looks kind of not dark, but kind of it looks a little grainy, rough around like the edges. Dirt, yeah. But deliberately, I think. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. No, I, it's it's more seventies than eighties, right? And it yeah. came out in nineteen eighty. So yep. they, you know, they made a terrible, terrible sequel to the Blues Brothers called Blue, Blues Brothers Two Thousand, and it looks like slick and polished, and yeah. it's awful. Yeah. It's awful in every way. But one of the ways is how it looks. Fair enough. So I don't know if I have any more thoughts on that. Can you answer my trivia question about? Uh, oh crap! What's right? Um, let's the see. holiday song that is not actually about Christmas. I'm gonna edit out so much silence here. <laughs> um, you don't have to edit out the silence. Uh, it's not the grandmother's house we go or whatever, is it? It's Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells. Isn't that jingle insane? Bells, Doesn't jingle. jingle Bells seem like the most Christmas song ever? Let's see. But is it about Thanksgiving or is it just about? Uh, apparently, it was originally about Thanksgiving. Yeah. At trivia, we guessed. Um, I think we guessed "Deck the Halls" or something. But nope, we were wrong. You know, a lot of those. Cri- what, what was the other song? Um, uh, "I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas" is not about a guy. It's it's about a guy in California. Oh sure, there was originally a line at the beginning about that. Uh, I read that uh, Paul McCartney makes it's something like a huge percentage of his annual revenue off that terrible just song christmas songs oh, that that's awful. the whole point of an artist of making a christmas song is residuals oh i'm sure uh, i'm sure and you know um what is it uh, i'll be home for christmas of course is that mariah K- no no uh, it's it's an old one it's yeah. but um the, the it, what's interesting is that song and have yourself a merry little christmas were written during the war 
So they're very sad when you think about it because, uh, you know, I'll be home oh, for Jesus. Christmas yeah. and all that. Unless a Jerry kills me. Well, but he says, if only in my dreams, he is not coming home for Christmas. I mean, so, but it's interesting. I think those give what you originally think are these corny old songs a little more power. Sure. You know, when you think about them. But anyway. Do, do you have any other final thoughts on planes, trains, and automobiles? Um, I mean, I like it. And I think it's a, you know, if you're sitting around, you, if you need a Thanksgiving movie. And you have the whole family. Watch this one. If you have little kids in the room, just skip the scene when he goes to the car rental counter right. at the airport and you will be fine. Yep. Um, and then watch The Irishman, which comes out the day before. Oh, I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Netflix. I know. It's been in theaters. People are liking it. It's a three-hour, apparently uh, very, I don't know if slow, but let's say deliberate, dramatic, gangster epic. With I didn't Scorsese. mean to set you off in this tangent. Oh, I'm very This excited. podcast is going to come out the Monday before Thanksgiving, so it comes out, the Irishman comes I out. I believe it comes out a couple days, yeah, the day before Thanksgiving, I think. I have not uh, heard anything about the movie, but I would strongly recommend it over planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> well, you got De Niro, you got Pacino, you got Joe Pesci, you got Harvey Keitel, and of course, for all those Everybody Loves Raymond fans, you have uh, Ray Romano. <laughs> no Ray Liotta? No. He's what not. the hell? Did he piss somebody off? Did he offend somebody? I don't <laughs> Go get your shine box right now. If you could find Out of Theaters on iTunes and leave us a review, we would be much obliged. I don't think I have any read this week. Um, find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're all Out of Theaters. We're all there. Uh, without further ado, if you have any other... Uh, Happy Thanksgiving. We're thankful that you're listening. We're thankful that you're listening. Thank you for being with us. Until next time, we'll miss you all. Most of all. Most of all. Most of all.